Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab. Today, we have a special American Cancer Society St. Baldrick's Foundation joint production. We've got Kathleen Ruddy here with us today, the CEO of the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Kathleen, hello. So nice to meet you. Hello, Joe. Thank you so much for welcoming me. And my colleague, Dr. Greer Sunshine, Susanna Greer, here as always. Susanna, we've got a pretty fun guest to talk with today. Yes, I am absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to Kathleen. I admire the work of the St. Baldrick's Foundation and have been so incredibly impressed with the collaboration that she's going to introduce for our listeners. Thank you so much, Dr. Greer. I come from a family of cancer fighters and survivors, and so I'm very grateful to the American Cancer Society for all the leadership you've demonstrated over many decades. And I think that's one of many reasons why we were so excited by the opportunity to be able to work with you in a formal partnership. Oh, we're so excited about this partnership too and the research that we're funding through it. You're going to hear from two of those grantees in just a moment. But first, would you mind taking us quickly through kind of what we hope to achieve through this partnership? When a patient is fighting cancer, a combination of two cancer treatments often works better than just one. Uh, since August of 2019, another type of combination has been at work fighting cancers, a partnership between the American Cancer Society and the St. Baldrick's Foundation. The two organizations to me really stand out in their own unique ways. The American Cancer Society being one of the oldest and most well-known charities in the United States, not only in the cancer space globally, uh, and the St. Baldrick's Foundation being the largest non-government funder of childhood cancer research grants. And I think combining forces to do something together that neither organization could do alone was something that kids not only deserve, but was frankly long overdue. In May, the organizations announced the first set of research projects to be supported by this partnership. Those totaled more than $2.8 million while continuing each organization's respective mission. The two organizations took on the additional challenge of raising funds together for a type of childhood cancer research. The scientists of both organizations has, had identified as a real need to maximize what researchers learn from each child's participation in a clinical trial. And I think what most people don't realize is that while clinical trials give patients access to cutting edge treatments, each trial is carefully designed to answer a specific question. And that's to show which of two treatment protocols achieves the best results for the most patients. But what the trial itself doesn't do is answer the question of why a particular arm of the trial works better. Um, the research funded by this unique partnership aims to leverage the information that's collected in the clinical trial process in the course of a study to learn more about the science behind the trial's results. For example, why do some patients respond better than others to a particular treatment? Why does one treatment cause more side effects? Why does one treatment cause more late effects than the other? These are all important questions. And what else can we learn when we look at all the data and findings from the trial, in addition to answering the very initial question, what else can we learn to speed up progress to cure more children more effectively and less harshly? Um, I know it sounds like common sense, but 
this kind of funding is hard for researchers to get um, because clinical trials are very expensive and the limited funds available are needed for the trial itself. So rarely is there anything left over to pursue these other ancillary questions that are really fundamental and point us in a very smart strategic direction for where to take the research next. You know, Kathleen, I love that. And one of the things that I I think a lot of people don't know is that many children with cancer, in fact, I would say the majority are going to participate in a clinical trial. In fact, that's the standard treatment of care for these kids. And so I think we can think of it as owing to these children to make sure that we're getting the greatest impact for these patients and for these families. And so this is one of the reasons that I especially love this collaboration and love the emphasis and direction that we took towards this collaborative effort with the St. Paul Drugs Foundation. Absolutely. And because there are so, um, the, the patient population in pediatrics is smaller. It's a, really an imperative, I think a moral imperative to learn everything we can from every child's journey, because that will not only help them in their own journey, but the subsequent generations of kids who follow them. Well said, Dr. Greer. Yeah. And so now I wonder if you could just talk very briefly about the grants that we funded earlier this year. So in May, we announced our first grants that we awarded together. Those started on July 1st of 2021. The first category are pilot accelerator grants. These four grants are two-year projects that are intended to include high-risk, high-reward research that tests feasibility and generates preliminary data to open new and highly innovative areas of investigation. The second type of grants are Team Accelerator grants. We funded two of them. They're four-year projects designed to foster innovative and interdisciplinary collaborative research to promote more transformational advances. And we actually had the privilege of speaking with a couple of these grantees. So next you're going to hear our conversation with two grantees, Dr. Yale Mose and Dr. Anders Kolb. So Dr. Mose is an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania. She's director of the Neuroblastoma Developmental Therapeutics Program there, and she's a pediatrician. Uh, Dr. Kolb, ooh, he's got a lot of titles. He's the chair of the Myeloid Disease Committee, uh, the Ch- Children's Oncology Group. He's vice chairman for research, and he's professor of Department of Pediatrics. He's the director of the Nemours Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders at Nemours Alfred DuPont Hospital for Children. So among our new grantees are these two wonderful scientists. Uh, Dr. Greer, didn't you think they had a really nice rapport? I mean, there's no question they talked about some difficult subjects, but they really provided some hope and they did such a good job of explaining the science. Joe, I I 100% agree. Doctors Mose and Kolb were fantastic. I think our listeners are going to be lifted in a way that I don't think they will expect. Childhood cancer is one of the toughest challenges a person or a family can face. And for me, it made me feel like these children and these families are in the best hands possible. And I, I am 100% biased but I loved knowing how much more 
information and data we are getting out of these trials because of this collaboration between the St. Baldrick's Foundation and the American Cancer Society. And Kathleen and Joe, I mean, just the ability to be in the middle of a clinical trial and have new information and pivot, that's that's mind-blowing and extraordinary. And to hear them talk about that, it, there is no parent on this planet that wouldn't say yes. I want that for my kid. So I, you guys are going to love it. Um, I am sorry that this is the kind of podcast that we still have to bring to you. I, in 2021, I would give anything if we could say, you know, we're, we're no longer going to have to talk about childhood cancer, but we do. But I am uh, grateful beyond measure for doctors like Dr. Mose and Dr. Kolb. And um, I, I think you're going to you're going to leave this podcast feeling hopeful. So Kathleen, I'll, um, I'd love to hear your, your comments and then we'll, we'll jump in and listen to our guest. You know, um, every parent I meet will tell you that for them, it all comes down to one disease and one child. Our organizations have the responsibility of making sure that every disease and every child has a efficacious cure available for them that leaves them whole, that guarantees that they will have a long, healthy life and that all the potential of that life is protected. And I could not agree with everything you said more wholeheartedly, Dr. Greer. Um, And I want to assure the audience that these grants are just the beginning. The ultimate fundraising goal of this partnership between our two organizations is $11 million. More research applications are already being reviewed to make more grants later this year. And just as a combination of therapies can benefit a cancer patient, this combination of efforts between two vital organizations um, are giving child cancer research a major boost. So I wanna thank you all for your partnership and dedication to ensure that children with cancer survive and thrive. Good morning, Dr. Mose, how are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I am great and I am excited to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you and with Dr. Kolb. Good morning, Dr. Kolb. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Excited to be here as well. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, let's dive right in if you guys are ready. Indeed. All right. Dr. Mose, let's, let's start with you. I I want to understand more about your work, but first let's let's help our audience understand part of your research. So you have a grant that was co-awarded from the St. Baldrick's Foundation and the American Cancer Society. And the purpose of this award is designed to maximize what researchers can learn from every child's participation in a clinical trial. So Before we talk more about that, will you help us understand why children participate in clinical trials? Thank you for the really important question uh, as to why children participate in clinical trials. Uh, I think that uh, despite childhood cancer being an orphan disease overall, we as a cooperative group have really been able to make significant advances in the field by enrolling patients on clinical trials. 
And this is why uh, the majority of children diagnosed with cancer in the United States participate in clinical trials where we have the opportunity to learn from our prior trials and to do better. Okay. I, I think many of us would have had no idea that the majority of children participate in clinical trials who are, are diagnosed in this space. Dr. Kolb, is that, is that a statistic that you're, that you agree with? Are you surprised by? Is that, can you add anything in that space? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely agree with it. You know, in, in pediatric cancer care, um, clinical trial participation is is the standard of care. It's it's often the only way that children have access to some innovative and very expensive therapies. It, um, it's the way we make progress, uh, but it's also um, how children can access the best therapies that, that are out there. Um, you know, I th- many institutions, many pediatric institutions look at a um, uh, a child with cancer who's eligible for a clinical trial is one of our most valuable resources. We have to take great care of them, um, and we have to make sure we can learn as much from them as possible, so that we can uh, improve outcomes for not only that patient but the but the next kid with the same disease that's going to roll through the door. So, Dr. Mose, help us understand what opportunities do we have to improve in this space. Specifically with respect to the grant that I'm so privileged to lead and to be supported uh, through the, you know, kind award of of the ACS and St. Baldrick's Foundation, uh, we are really harnessing what we know to be the only uh, gene that is um, what we call an oncogenic driver in neuroblastoma. And the award gives us the opportunity not only to integrate what is what science has taught us to be the best inhibitor of this oncogenic driver we call ALK, but also in real time to bring the science to the patients and to do correlative studies that allow us to understand how patients respond or perhaps how patients don't respond and develop resistance, which will allow us to develop the next generation of studies and really improve on what we're doing now. I mean, that that's you know how we think of, of children as um, a real vulnerable population and the care for them on a clinical trial provides them not only, as Dr. Kolb said, the access to the most modern uh, therapy based on science, uh, but also is the safest way to treat these kids. So Dr. Kolb, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on Dr. Mose's study. These, These children are so precious and we have the opportunity to offer to them the very best of what we can to this group of children and then the opportunity to learn so that we can offer for the next child even better, even better studies and even even better medicine, technology, efforts in cancer. So can you 
can you just share your thoughts on what Dr. Mose is doing with her St. Baldrick's and ACS funded work? Yeah, well said, and it's a, it's a very important question. I, I think that Dr. Mose's work highlights how, how hard this is, right? That she did pioneering work to identify this driver gene in neuroblastoma patients and uh, identify therapies that can potentially um, kill these neuroblastoma cells with this gene in the lab and in animal models. Um, but then applying that clinically uh, is is very hard. It's it's very hard to you know for for the disease that that she studies neuroblastoma and the disease that I focus in acute myeloid leukemia. We're already giving maximally toxic therapy. There's not a whole lot of room between the patient and the toxicity ceiling to squeeze in another therapy, and understanding. Um, how that therapy benefits the patients and which patients it benefits and maybe other um, biomarkers or mutations in the cells that could predict benefit. Um, I think that that's that's why this so is so hard. I mean, we've said, you know, we were spoiled in the beginning of the precision medicine era when we identified Gleevec that could kill CML cells because we thought that um, target expression meant response to a targeted therapy, and all you got to do is give them a pill and send them home. But these diseases that we're studying in kids are so much more complicated. Um, uh, the target doesn't always predict response, and uh, there's so much more to it. And I think that's why why her work is is so critical. Thank you, Dr. Kolb. And Dr. Mose, I'd, I'd love to ask you one more follow-up question. Um, Dr. Cole mentioned that your your work and that's been funded by the St. Baldrick's Foundation and the American Cancer Society is improving, is working to improve these patient outcomes for neuroblastoma. But this is such a tough space and, and such a, a extraordinarily difficult disease. And as Dr. Cole mentioned, we were spoiled early in precision medicine, but you are really making some I think, remarkable headway. So could you help us understand a little bit more maybe about neuroblastoma for those of us who are, I can, I think I can use the word fortunate enough to not think about this disease all the time. And what do you hope to accomplish? I think that Dr. Kolb really brings up some really um, some key challenges that we as physician scientists face. And I think that we also are very privileged as physician scientists because we have the opportunity to see both sides of, of, of the, you know, both the uh, challenges in the clinic with treating kids who often have a lethal disease and then how difficult it is uh, to study each individual child's disease in, in the laboratory. And so my, my goal uh, with our grant is to bring the science to the clinical trials in real time and not for there to be a lag. And, and that is where I think there have been a lot of challenges. Uh, and so for the particular disease we study, neuroblastoma, which is a disease of young children that arises from the peripheral nervous system, 50% uh, of kids have the more aggressive form of the, of the disease, 
And as Dr. Kolb said, we have reached the ceiling in terms of the maximal intensity of therapy that we provide these kids who are often diagnosed under the age of two. And our therapy has been throughout the many decades entirely empiric, meaning not specifically targeting any um, particular uh, molecular driver that could really uh, impact cure uh, eventually and survival. Um, and now we have this really exciting opportunity having discovered mutations in this ALK oncogene to target it. But as Dr. Kolb said, uh, no mutations are created equal, no target is created equal. And this is where the science is so important. And so what we're actually doing with this grant is midway through a pivotal phase three trial, we have utilized the data, the compelling preclinical and early clinical data that we have with a new compound to say the current trial must be amended to bring in the newer, better ALK inhibitor so that we can improve the lives of children now, not in five years when our next phase three trial is launched. Well, that's uh, I, honestly, I, 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 the only thing I can say is that gives me chills. Um, Dr. Kolb, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to highlight um, how revolutionary what she just said is, <laughs> you know, to uh, to change a, a trial in, in real time based off of um, uh, data that's emerging from the lab, I, th I think is, is absolutely the right thing to do. I don't think there's a parent that would disagree with that statement. It is uh, uh, an enormous undertaking to do it, though, um, and um, to get our reviewers, our regulators, our funders, our uh, colleagues behind this is is a lot of work. And um, uh, I know folks can't um, can't see Dr. Mosa shaking her head, but uh, <laughs> it is it is certainly a lot of work. So, um, but it's it's the right thing to do, and it's also exciting that we have the ability to do it, and that this to me this is a really important precedent uh, that uh, will. Um, help other children with other diseases and kind of show us the way to uh, incorporate changes and interpret the results uh, to benefit future patients. Absolutely. The, the pivot, I think, is unprecedented and the understanding of the importance of pivoting quickly. Um, these, are, these are young lives and um, they and their families can't wait. So thank you, Dr. Mose, to you and your colleagues for this incredible work. Dr. Kolb, I, I'd love to find out more about your study that's funded by the St. Baldrick's Foundation and the American Cancer Society. It's, it's different. It's aimed to support the pediatric acute leukemia clinical trial. So we, we'd love to hear more about this trial and, and why it's so important. Yeah, you know, it's a, a, as, as I was listening to Dr. Mose talk, I, I um, uh, uh, struck with with some of the similarities and differences between neuroblastoma and and AML. I mean, we both give uh, for both diseases this maximally toxic 
pushing the envelope therapy is is needed. Um, kids get transplants in both diseases. Kids get maximally intensive therapy. Um, the, the, one of the key differences, at least that we see in AML, is that um, acute myeloid leukemia is a disease of older adults. It's a disease that um, uh, occurs at an increasing frequency with age. And what we've learned in the last you know, five to seven years, um, we've always assumed to be the case, but never had the data to show it. And that is that the AML that kids get is nothing like the AML that adults get, that older adults get. Um, and this is important because our model for drug development is often dependent on um, drugs developed in adults trickling down to benefit children. In the last three years, we've seen, I've lost count, but somewhere in the range of five or six new drugs that have been approved for use in adults with AML. Um, some of those drugs are targeting mutations that just don't happen in kids. Um, they happen commonly in older adults. They just don't happen in kids. Um, other, uh, other drugs are um, uh, potentially benefit kids. Um, the regulatory environment right now is is quite favorable. The Race for Cure Act that that many uh, organizations, St. Baldrick's, uh, uh, American Cancer Society, LLS, all advocated for. Um, it now requires a different incentive and incentive um, uh, for companies to test drugs in children based off of um, uh, not just the disease type but the target uh, the potential for benefit in, in those populations. Um, and what we realized in the AML world is that for us to start testing these drugs and for us to partner effectively with drug companies to meet their regulatory requirements, basically we needed to get our acts together. Um, we're very good at doing academic clinical trials. We're not very good at doing uh, regulatory caliber trials. And um, those trials are important they're difficult, but they're important because we need to make sure that kids have access to drugs, not just during the conduct of the trial, but if the drugs provide benefit, um, uh, they need access for a long time through third-party payer agreements and FDA approval and all that kind of stuff. So we have been working with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for the last couple of years to develop an international consortium that can test these drugs more efficiently uh, with higher throughput than ever before, um, providing access to new therapies to more children than we were able to do previously. Uh, and uh, with the American Cancer Society and St. Baldrick's support, we um, have uh, are focusing on our first uh, biomarkers for our first trials, developing the assays uh, to identify the kids that are going to be eligible for uh, these pediatric acute leukemia initiative uh, subtrials. Thank you. So, Dr. Mose, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Dr. Kolb's comments, especially on focusing on those biomarkers as you think about some of the commonalities between AML and neuroblastoma and and where you see the future and not only gaining this information in real time, but being able to treat kids in, in spaces is, I love what Dr. Kolb said, that this is not your, this is not, not your adult disease. Um, this is a different, a different space. 
you know, we as pediatricians are taught early on that kids are not small adults. <laughs> and it really is the same for pediatric cancer. Pediatric cancers are very different than adult cancers. And ALK is a perfect example. Uh, it is its biology and the way by which it is turned on in neuroblastoma is entirely different than the way it's turned on in non-small cell lung cancer. And so the challenges we've had in targeting ALK for neuroblastoma have been really different, but actually have really informed uh, the, the space of ALK inhibition uh, in the context of adult cancers. For AML, uh, I think it's it's also um, the parallels are very similar. Uh, AML is a disease that's close to my heart at the risk of getting on a personal level. My best friend from early childhood died of AML, and it's really how I got into all this is is because of her. And, and she said to me right before she died, she said, chemotherapy is the work of the devil. And I think it's why Dr. Kolb is doing what he's doing, and I admire him enormously because she was 28, and we see teens with AML. It's a horrific disease for which still, while there have been major advances in our understanding of the molecular underpinnings, um, the outcomes are still poor. I think um, Dr. Kolb would know better than I, but... Uh, and so we we are um, it's really our obligation to find the underlying drivers and to identify more rational, less toxic therapies to improve the outcomes for these kids. So I think that the the parallels here between these diseases, between the two of you, your life's passion and work are are incredible in disease spaces where we've seen major advances, but we still struggle with poor outcomes. Um, and you both have both personal and professional, what you see as obligations. Dr. Kolb, I'm really interested to, to know, and I think our listeners would love to know, so at, what's at the top of your list? What do you really hope to learn through this study that's funded through St. Baldur's Foundation and the ACS? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the inspiration for for what we uh, are doing was is through St. Baldrick's. You know, St. Baldrick's uh, started funding Project Every Child through the Children's Oncology Group many years ago, um, and that has allowed us to screen patients for eligibility to um, clinical trials very quickly. Uh, it's also um, uh, created an enormous biorepository from which investigators uh, continue or through which investigators continue to learn about uh, the molecular underpinnings and other behaviors of, of pediatric cancers. Um, we are creating the same uh, at relapse for kids with acute leukemia, um, making sure that every kid with uh, um, uh, who enrolls has access to a screening program both for molecular mutations as well as potential immunotherapy targets or cell surface targets in the leukemia cells. And um, so what we hope is that we will um, be as successful in relapse as we have been in newly diagnosed AML in screening for clinical trial eligibility and banking uh, specimens for future research, for current and future research, uh, and that we will have a um, 
uh, a menu of effective therapies that um, uh, for children who enroll on, on um, these subsequent subtrials that are more targeted, uh, less toxic, um, as Dr. Malsay said, um, than, than what's currently available to these kids. You know, you bring up an interesting point that we haven't touched on, and Dr. Mose, you maybe you could help us understand if that's something that you think about with neuroblastoma is the, the banking for future efforts. Is, is that a place that you are participating in? You know, where are you in that space? And maybe talk to us a little about banking and what that means. Our audience may not be familiar with that term. Absolutely. I think uh, the challenge that we have with neuroblastoma that differs from leukemias is that in order to access tissue, patients have to go through uh, a either interventional radiology guided biopsy or a surgical biopsy, which means that they have to, you know, have anesthesia. And so for a long time, it was thought that there was no prospect for benefit for these children to have biopsies at time of relapse because we had no, um, no therapies. And what we've learned actually is that it is the most important time for us to get tissue because it allows us to understand what's happened to the tumor, which is completely different at relapse than it is at diagnosis. So we have an enormous effort and it are entirely committed to um, collecting tissue over time and understanding what happens and recommending biopsies at time of relapse. And in fact, parents are now asking for these biopsies. And the only thing I'll add is that a major part of our ACS slash St. Baldrick's grant is to pilot a less invasive way to access tumor cells, and that is by doing um, what we call liquid biopsies. And so we now know that these tumor cells can be shed in the blood and we can actually capture them and sequence them. And that allows us to really um, follow patients and understand how they respond or become resistant to our therapies in a less invasive way. Ah, oh, wonderful. Dr. Kolb, you're you're at a different place than Dr. Mose in your award. Your award is just beginning, and you're just kind of at the precipice of doing some really amazing things to add on to the, the incredible impact that you've already had in this space. But I think our listeners would would love to know at the beginning of a grant, what are your hopes that this grant could mean for your research and for the impact that you and your team will have in childhood cancer? Yeah, I, I I think the I, I think the second part of that question is is the key, right? What's the impact? And I, I think that's how that's how we measure success. So for us, the impact is having the ability to rapidly screen uh, all children with with relapsed uh, uh, acute leukemias for eligibility on um, to effective subtrials. You know, we're not. We're not bringing forward any therapies that we think aren't going to be effective. Everything that we're bringing forward are um, some of the most compelling agents that that are out there, um, and we just want to make sure that that there is an easy way for uh, investigators, clinicians to screen their patients for enrollment on those trials. Um, the 
I think one of the, the one of the challenges that we face in studying any rare disease is that it takes a lot of work to activate a clinical trial to gear up to do a clinical trial at, at the site level and not all sites have the resources to do it. Um, we don't know where the next patient with a rare disease is going to show up. It might be um, in West Philadelphia. It might be in um, in Omaha, Nebraska. We don't we don't know, but we want the investigators at those locations to have the resources available to them um, uh, to make sure that that kid gets to the right therapy. Um, so our, the, the screening trial that we've created, we expect will be relatively easy to open at sites in North America, and, and we have a parallel study in Europe that is opening now as well. Um, and um, by rapidly screening sites, if we have, let's say we have five different subtrials, we can't expect every center in North America to open all five subtrials. But if we know that they have a patient with AML who is expresses target X, they can open just the subtrial that is relevant for target X. And um, so we, we're kind of decreasing the activation energy um, for conducting multiple different trials in as many kits as possible. So if we're successful, we're going to be able to rapidly screen for relevant biomarkers and we're going to be able to enroll kids on uh, on the therapy that has the highest potential to provide benefit. We're so excited for you and hopeful and just can't can't wait to um, talk to you again in a year and 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 find out where you are. Um, Dr. Mosella, I guess I'll ask a similar question. What are you most excited about now? Where where are your hopes and and challenges for for where you are in in your St. Baldrick's ACS-funded study? My hope and my expectation is to make a really big difference for a small subset of patients. And I think that that's where uh, cancer biology uh, has, has turned now is that one disease really is not um, just defined by its histology, but it's defined by its underlying molecular uh, biology. And we know that ALK in neuroblastoma is really important. It's taken us a decade to figure out which is the right drug to move forward. And I have, um, I'm cautiously very optimistic that uh, with the true um addiction to this gene that we've proven in the laboratory and the right drug that we're going to be able to make a big difference for these kids. We're also implementing uh, a assay at diagnosis to be able to identify more patients who we think have this particular mutation than we have been doing up until now using kind of more archaic assays. And I would say that one of the most compelling and exciting parts of this this effort is that our colleagues in Europe also have um, joined us in, in doing the parallel trial using their chemotherapy backbone for neuroblastoma, but integrating the same drug. And we have aligned all of our correlative studies to be done at the same time points so that for this rare disease, we can hopefully show the FDA, the EMA, 
that this drug uh, is going to significantly improve the lives of the patients who have this biomarker. Thank you. And we are incredibly impressed by your dedication and your impact and to both of you for extending your studies worldwide. Um, kids get cancer everywhere and we are just really grateful for what you do. So I just want to close with one last question, which is the hardest, and that is that um, childhood cancer is absolutely, I think, the toughest challenge a person or a family can face. So I'd like to ask you for a message that you'd like to share um, for children who are going through cancer and for treatment, um, and maybe for their families and friends who love and support them. Uh, Dr. Kolb, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think the uh, the message that I always uh, try to share with families is just how um, uh, committed uh, pediatric cancer providers, physicians, nurses, everybody involved in the care of cancer patients, um, how committed they are to to the patient and family, and uh, how they're there to support you, um, and at the end of the day, how they are absolutely uh, inspired uh, by you and your journey. And um, uh, it is, I, I hope that uh, patients and families all know that that we're walking this with the uh, journey with them. Yeah, the patient journey is certainly an uh, onerous one. And I think that Dr. Kolb and I and our colleagues feel that it is a privilege to be part of their journey. Uh, we wish these families and hope that we can help them with uh, building courage and ha having hope and having resilience and also really encourage them to uh, if they're not satisfied with the care or the answers that they're given, um, to keep pushing and looking for those who are really experts in the field, because these are rare diseases, and there's no shame in in trying to really look for, you know, I, I think people like myself and Dr. Kolb who live and breathe these diseases and are are entirely committed to, um, you know, making a big difference. Thank you both. You are incredible ambassadors for these children and their families and for your teams. So we appreciate all you do and are 100% your biggest fans. Thank you for hosting and thank you to ACS and St. Baldrick's for this wonderful support. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Dr. Kolb.